Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Hey guys, Melissa here. Before we jump into this week's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to let you know that it's not too late to join us for our 30 Days of Hope in April. We're reading through our new collaborative project. It's a devotional called Faith, Hope, and Connection. The conversation around day one's reading yesterday was so rich, you can order the book on Amazon. There will be a link in the show notes. We're discussing each day in our private Facebook group, The Adoption Connection. I'll also put that link in the show notes at theadoptionconnection.com slash 32. Now on to the rest of today's episode. Hi, Melissa. Happy April to you. Hey, Lisa. I am so excited for April because it's, well, we're, I guess we're officially in spring, right? It's my favorite season. What is your favorite part of spring? Or do you even like spring? I love spring. Spring on the Palouse where I live can be really beautiful because we live in a big wheat farming area. And so, and where we live, the terrain is very, very hilly. So the hills just get covered with this almost emerald green as all the shoots of wheat start to come up. It's really pretty spectacular. I I love it. The thing I do not like about spring is the mud. There's so much mud you know, the kids trek in and get stuck on the dog and all of that because our soil just does that. How about you? Well, I like it because it's getting warmer and it means I can start wearing my flip-flops again, which is my footwear of choice if I have to have something on my feet. But it's funny that you mentioned about mud. We live close to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is, there's a lot of Amish families there. Uh, So the Amish are pretty self-sustaining and they actually don't pay taxes because they don't use a lot of the things that taxes pay for, like schools, electricity, things like that. But because of that, they also can't take advantage of public services like fire departments. So they run their own like ambulatory and fire departments in their communities and they raise money for them through these big auctions I mean, they're auctioning off everything you can possibly imagine, everything from quilts to horses and buggies to toys to furniture. So anyway, they usually happen in the spring, sometime in like March-ish, because it's before the fields are ready to be planted, but after everything starts to melt and it's not too, too cold for people to come out because it's an out, it's a mostly outdoor event. It's like 20 acres of live auctions going on at the same time. So we call them the mud auctions because more often than not, I mean, you're walking around in like three or four inches of mud in fields, like going to these auctions. So it's kind of like a family tradition we have. Wow. That actually sounds really, really neat. I would, I would love to go to a mud auction. Maybe someday I'll come visit. Yeah, you should. (laughs) Well, today we have a great interview with my friend, Sharon Hujik, who is a entrepreneur, but most importantly, she is also a wife to Peter and mom to Luke, John, and her daughter, Nora. And uh, her two youngest kids were adopted. So she's an adoptive mom, like many of us. And she is a business coach. So I want to preface all of this by saying that while we are going to be talking about business and moms, we're really talking about how the things we learn in parenting our children, in therapeutic parenting in particular, how they 
apply and strengthen us in other parts of our lives. So Sharon's a business coach who helps entrepreneurs overcome the fears and obstacles that hinder their success with a special focus on business strategy and technology. In other words, she says she's a problem solver and a wordsmith who knows her way around a website. The one thing she most loves to talk about is that she loves working alongside people who want to bring their passions and dreams to life. And she says the challenges we face as adoptive parents can also uniquely equip us to be braver, bolder, and go bigger. So this is a really fun interview. And, you know, there are a lot of moms who do have small businesses. So this would be of particular interest to some of you. Today, I'm so happy to welcome my friend, Sharon Hugic to the Adoption Connection podcast. Welcome, Sharon. Oh, it's great to be here, Lisa. Thank you. You're welcome. It's so fun to talk to you. I, I want to tell my listeners the story of how we met because I think it's kind of fun. I was writing my blog, uh, One Thankful Mom, at onethankfulmom.com, and uh, it was very, very outdated. And I knew that I needed to update the website, but had absolutely no idea how to do it and didn't really have a lot of money to do it. And I mentioned that in a blog post and you emailed me and said, let me help you. And you ended up completely redesigning my blog and making it so beautiful. And we got to be friends and it's just been really, really wonderful. Yeah, it was funny because I had been one of your blog readers as an adopt a mom whose family was formed through adoption. And I just, you know, I was at your knee learning <laughs> all of this wisdom and like literally seeking you as like, how do I do this? And then at one point you're like, I need to make some changes. I think you were trying to change a domain name and stuff that to me, you know, I do professionally all the time. And I thought, oh, I can help Lisa Qualls. Like, oh, I felt like, oh my gosh, Lord, this is so cool. And yeah, it was it was really special. I'm grateful for that that little intersection of our lives where we got to know each other. And you know, you introduced me to a lot of technology that I was brand new to me. So I've learned a lot from you too. Why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about who you are and then we'll Talk about all kinds of interesting things about business and being a... I am, well, first and foremost, I am a mom of three kids who are elementary school age, ranging from almost 11 to just turn seven. Our oldest child uh, is our son biologically, and then our other two children joined our family through adoption. We homeschool them, which is a source of great joy, obviously also a lot of work and, you know, the decisions that you make to, to homeschool are always, you know, filled with, with great ideas and great expectations, at least in our experience. And then the reality is, you know, trying to manage a family of, of you know, strong-willed children and teaching them to read and fractions and, and cursive and all those good things. So it's, it's a source of great joy, but obviously a lot of work. But I also then professionally, um, I'm a business coach and web developer. So I work with um, a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners. I often say that God has blessed me with a techie brain and a sort of ability to problem solve. And for whatever reason, that's just a very natural extension of how I think and how I work. And before kids, I had a, a sales and marketing career. So I have this sort of merger of two experiences with um, sales and marketing and understanding the dynamics of how to communicate and how to say things persuasively or identify market needs and those different aspects. 
and then coupling that with technology. So whether most of the work I do is, you know, built off of WordPress and then just all of the different kind of market growth strategies that are really um, a big piece of how people make their living online right now. And whether it's funnels or uh, social media, search engine optimization, all those different pieces of what people use and leverage in order to have their businesses grow. So I often feel like I'm a helper. I help people who have either small ideas and want to make them bigger or small businesses and they're ready to grow. And, you know, I have to do that in the context of the rest of my life. But it's such joy. I mean, I just, I do, I just love doing it. It balances out a lot of the other, you know, kind of hard things to give me this expression of being able to serve people. And it's really something I, I, I feel like it's a, it's a piece, a bright part of, uh, of the things that we do. And it allowed us to get to know each other. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely a, a blessing. But I think one of my favorite parts about it, Lisa, is that women especially, I mean men too, but women especially, the power of the internet just opens up so many opportunities that, you know, 30 years ago, we couldn't, we couldn't be doing this conversation, but we really couldn't be doing what we're doing. I mean, it would have been so much harder you know, to be able to, to meet people who care about the things that we care about or to be entrepreneurs. I mean, I work from home, you work from home. Having the luxury of access to information and, and communities of people who are like-minded or care about similar things has really been, this is such a unique time to be able to do what we do. It's so true. And, you know, there are a lot of parents, and we have more women probably listening than men, so I'm thinking a little bit about the many women I know who are home with their kids, but they're running successful businesses, or they're writing, you know, like I, like I do, or, you know, doing all kinds of things. But I think two things you said, one is, you know, you didn't say it directly, but we're thinking, about how do you juggle these two things? How do you do both? And then secondly, the fact that this gives you joy and feeds your soul and your mind. So it's your work is kind of a form of caring for yourself yeah. while also caring for other people. And you're doing a lot of juggling. So talk a little bit about how you practically manage this. Well, and that is actually one of the most common questions I get from especially moms um, who, whether they're homeschooling or whether they are, their kids are going to more traditional schools, but they have the challenge of trying to do big things. But all of us only have 24 hours in our day. I mean, nobody gets an extra hour, <laughs> even though you want one. So you have that, that responsibility of learning how to do it all. Well, and none of us you know, that's a, that's a fallacy. We can't do it all. What is, what has been successful in our family and the things that make it work probably fundamentally is recognizing like what the essential things are. There was a book I read, it's called Essentialism. It is really, really valuable. And I just, I found that it kept reminding me to choose wisely and say no to things that were really good, but not always the best. And I sat down with just a pen and a paper and I mapped out my week and I looked at like, what do I have to be able to do and what hours do I have to dedicate to school? When are my husband and I going to have, you know, our family conversations or our date nights? When is this going to happen? 
and then saw just how much time I had left over after those kind of big rocks were placed into the jar. And then the discipline of saying, well, then this is how much work I can do. And I tend to be a person who works really well under a deadline. So I'm motivated, like, I have to get this done today. This website has to be built. This sales strategy has to be presented to somebody. So I, that pressure actually works really well for me. I'm not somebody that if you give me two weeks, I'll probably still wait to the last two days to get something done. That's good. So my looking at literally what my hours are and then choosing, I can't do it all. I don't have the ability to do it all. I also am very blessed with a husband who is exceptionally creative and very much in tune to what he considers to sort of be a healthy home. And he is not just willing to point out what makes a healthy home, but also willing to actually hands-on. So he does most of the cooking for our family. He does almost all the grocery shopping. We have worked out like the division of labor. He is an exceptionally talented um, visual person. So he does most of like our holiday decorating and things like that because it's just, I can't do everything and he's really good at that. And I think some men would be like, well, that's too domestic. But in his, in his world, it's just a way that our family works. And so, you know, we jokingly say like, I'm the guy who sets up the VCR. <laughs> like, you know, I was the AV club kid. Like I'm more <laughs> techie and I tend to do more technical things. And that's the expression of my talents. He is so visual and so aesthetic and he sees beauty in so many things that his expression of that tends to be more home centric. So we balance out that juggle of dividing up our time. And let me just say it's, we're not very, we're not perfect at it. Some days we're, we're good at it. Some days we, it falls apart, but at the same time, like we are communicating about it and we, and we are committed to doing it. He is very supportive of my talent, you know, and I, and I think yeah, maybe it was about two years ago. He said to me, you know, honey, if, if we're going to do this entrepreneur thing, I'm here for you. I'm going to back you up like, go for it. And it was such a, like a, a, an amazing gift that he gave me, but he gave our family like, I'm supporting you. I'm here. You And I'm going to pick up the pieces that you won't have the time to do because I feel like this is where you are supposed to be. And, and this is good for you. And it, you're good at it. And people are, are benefiting from what you're doing. You know, wow. <laughs> I'm sorry if there's other women who are out there thinking, oh, that's not fair. You got a good one. He is really a gift in that way. We're not perfect. We're slog through marriage just like everybody else. But he, he really makes a lot of things possible. That's wonderful. We were talking a little bit just, you know, as an adopting, as a family who has children who were adopted, who joined our family through adoption, who also have, you know, they experienced the trauma of loss and orphan care and the early childhood years where there wasn't what they needed. You know, that in and of itself is a really important piece of our family and, you know, learning and, and being available to them. So, I find that being, you know, doing the kind of work I do gives me the flexibility to be able to ebb and flow based on their needs and, and kind of meet them where they're at too. You, you, you experience it. You just, you sort of figure out which margins or which crevices it fits into and make it happen. You know, I was thinking about uh, how learning this degree of connected therapeutic parenting is really hard. <laughs> and it takes a lot out of us, right? And I, I want to yeah. talk more about that. But listening to you talk about your work, and yeah. the joy, I mean, I can see your face, so I can see it. But I was thinking about how important it is 
when sometimes we may not feel like we're doing so great as a mom because, gosh, there's just a lot of hard stuff we're doing. It's so important to have something that you feel like, wow, I, this is using my talents. I feel good about this. This is, gives me joy. And I definitely see that. I mean, it's just affirming, like where sometimes being a mom to kids with lots of challenges does not feel so affirming. I mean, honestly, you and I both know it. Like most of the time you just feel like you're failing spectacularly. Parenting in any context, you're constantly feeling like, I don't know how to do this. I feel like I've said it to many people many times, like this is one of the most important things I'm ever going to do with these years on earth. And I'm constantly questioning, am I doing this well? Is this the right choice? All of those pieces. But then you layer in trauma and pain and emotional difficulties and it it does. So I, I have to wholeheartedly agree, like having something where I get my cup filled back up and whether it's through the creativity or the problem solving or a lot of it is like the professional relationships that come out of working with clients and speaking to other adults and and solving problems that aren't so close to home, it does, it really, it can be a great source of joy. And I actually talk to a lot of people, people will come to me saying, well, I don't know what my talent is, or I want to do something. And they will hire me to sort of explore, uh, what is it that I bring because I'm a, I'm a Christian, I am firmly convinced that each one of us have a God-given gift and talent, that we have um, the ability and the responsibility of nurturing and using to advance God's kingdom. And for some people, it's, you know, it's, it's being techie or solving business dilemmas. For other people, it's writing from your heart and bringing wisdom or sh- the vulnerability of sharing their experiences. But everybody, we all have that. And when people are like, well, I don't know where mine is, sometimes it's because they're too close to the circumstances to see it. Like you don't have enough objectivity to really recognize in yourself. You don't, you know, you don't see it because you're so close. There's a great uh, Southern idiom I love to say, like, you can't read the label from inside the bottle. You don't. I've, I've you never don't. heard that. Is that great? And it's so true. Like you don't see yourself. You don't see yourself objectively. But other people, like I can come in and point out, oh, you don't even realize this talent that you have. It's you're so naturally good at it that you don't realize it's exceptional. You don't notice it. Mm -hmm. Because it's just you 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 figure everybody else's it's as easy for them as it is for you, but you know, it's not. That really, you know, kind of lights my fire, like helping other people learn and recognize that they have this gift and then giving them the skills to be able to, to grow it and use it. And, and, you know, in, in some cases it's business, in other cases it may be, I don't know, leading their co-op or serving at church or leading a community effort or whatever it is, but it's still necessary, I think. Yeah, and I think when we're just so deep in the trenches of parenting, we still need things. We need things that take our minds out of the daily Mm -hmm. work. I mean, I'm not parenting at the level I used to. Yeah. But when I was, my mind churned constantly over trying to solve a problem, trying to figure out what my child was expressing with her behavior, trying to figure out what do I do? How do I apply everything I've read? Should I try this? Should I try that? Like my brain was so busy with 
the kind of parenting I was doing. And then to feel like I was constantly falling down and and having to get back up and fall down and get back up over and over and over. Then when I discovered writing, it's like, ah, this feels good to me. You know, this, to put my thoughts into words that other people read has been really very therapeutic for me before I ever turned it into more of a work, more of a job, a vocation of sorts, you know? But isn't that the best kind of work? I mean, really, when you're doing something that just feels like it's a little bit, it's so organic to your well-being that it feels joyful, that there's just something that you need to have expressed or that it brings out another aspect of you Mm -hmm. as you're doing it. I mean, isn't that how it's supposed to be that we are delighted by the, our, our talents. And it is good. I, I will say it's not always, I mean, not every aspect of work is joyful. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. There are parts I don't like about it either, but what I yeah. do. I'm like, oh. Yeah. And I think that's actually one of the things that I've learned. So, you know, I have young children and, and the, the pain and the hardship that they feel the, the humanness of those feelings. It's just obviously because of, trauma they're amplified and they're they're disconnected to you know what what is a typical reaction and and it as i think about it like that's the challenge that we have right as parents of children who have experienced trauma and as parents you know trauma informed parents like that reaction of just boom all of a sudden everything implodes and our family takes a 180 and everything that was going on for this morning shifts because of that well on a much more normal scale, that's a lot of sometimes when you're in this discomfort zone of stretching into new business, like it is really painful. And as, as entrepreneurs or business owners, like we don't attack our moms because of the pain, but we probably sometimes lash out at our families or feel all that stress. And it's like, we can't always name it. But a lot of the things that our kids are experiencing and that the the extreme reactions are actually echoes of what even adults have to manage and learn to work through. I see it a lot. Like being an entrepreneur is really hard. It's a it's, roller coaster. It can and be scary for people. Oh, sure. Because it's, I mean, you're basically asking yourself to do something you've never done before. There's not a lot of people who have buddies who are doing this. Like most of us are kind of unusual and you feel vulnerable you feel like you're being asked to put yourself out there and you're worried about people rejecting you. I mean, you're feeling like you're putting, you know, you're investing so much into this idea, but what if it doesn't go or do well? And then, you know, it's overwhelming. All of the things that our kids experience, I feel like that's actually one of the little aspects of, of being a parent and being a businesswoman that I see that there's commonalities, um, which I wouldn't have naturally expected that there would be, but they do show up a lot. Like the struggles that an entrepreneur has, or probably any small business owner are, you know, I want to do this, but it's overwhelming. I'm scared. I don't know what to do next. There's a lot of what my husband and I and and other families who have, you know, our our trauma-informed parents have to help our kids navigate through. So it sounds to me like all of your experience as a trauma-informed parent and all the things you're learning help you be better as and a more successful and better entrepreneur and better serve your 
customers, clients, however you want to put that. Yeah. Isn't that funny? It's <laughs> Whoever great. Would, would have thought that. I, you know, and I, and I think there's an idiot, an, an expression that a lot of times you hear people talk about, like, and it sounds pedantic. So I, I don't mean to imply that I don't want it to, people to be like, oh, that's offensive. But people say, well, your mess is your message. Like when you talk about like as a business, like, and I, I think what that means is that, you know, you're the totality of, you know, Sharon Hugic as an entrepreneur, as a business consultant and coach, like I bring all of my experiences to play as I help people. And a huge part of my experience is raising our children and and the learning that we've had about helping our kids find healing and make progress and learn how why, how they're wired differently and how to help them yet that doesn't stop at the you know when i turn on my laptop to go and and help a client nor does my i don't i don't leave my business career behind i don't leave my my what i'm reading about or my you know what i'm learning at church behind like all of those things are the totality of who i am i think that's actually one of the the good things about being <laughs> dare i say a grown up you know as a as a i'm not a, i'm not young and not trying to figure out who i am like i know We've made decisions and we have put our stake in the ground and said, this is our family and these are the choices we're making and this is who I am. And as much as those things, as a believer, as a mom, as an adoptive mom, as an entrepreneur, as a home, like all of those pieces together are me. And um, hopefully those empower other people to be more authentically them too. They all really, you know, jumble up together to make into wisdom, (laughs) you know, experience, all of those things together can really, you know, I think they are leveraged across lots of different places. I think so too. I was just thinking when I was thinking about how you apply what you know about parenting to business coaching. And I was thinking about when, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, how certain business challenges put me into fight flight or freeze mode. I mean, think about it. Like if I start a project and it gets to be too much flight, close it down, leave it, leave it for six months, leave it for a year, whatever, or fight like, Oh, well that person, no, I don't really do this very much. (laughs) But like, you know, to to either I could be fighting with my computer. That's probably more like it because a lot of what I do is alone and, and you know, I can't figure it out and I'm mad at my computer and I can't this program. And, and, and so I do that or freeze just, I'm sitting in front of the computer knowing I need to do this. Yeah. I don't know how. All of those reactions, like I said before, those are normal you know, that's how we react to new information. And we see it in our kids. It's just obviously, it's exceptionally out of whack. But the thing that's really remarkable, at least I, my brain thinks it's remarkable, is a lot of the strategies that we will employ for our kids to help them manage that are actually very similar to the strategies that I recommend to clients who are entrepreneurs. Like what helps you when you're overwhelmed What's the one thing that we could get done right now? Don't worry about all the other stuff, but what's the one thing 
that we could do or, you know, having, having a picture of where we're going, like a strategic plan in a business lingo. Well, isn't that what we do for our kids when we're trying to help them anticipate what's going to happen today? Like, okay, we're going to, we're going to eat breakfast and then we're going to pack your backpack and we're going to get in the car and you're going to sit in this spot with your brother on the other side and you're going to have your blanket and you're going to be wearing your boots and we're going to, you know, and you just walk them through those steps so that they can feel like it's not so overwhelming. Right. Right. How much, how is that any really different than what I would help, you know? So here's what we need to do. You have a, you have a, um, a campaign that you're wanting to launch. Well, here's the steps. And these are the questions that we have to ask. And you just, you put together a plan and how empowering that is then because you feel like, it's not so overwhelming because you know what you're doing with your clients, just like with your kids, is you're balancing nurture and structure. You're giving them the structure. You're sending, I remember you sending me an email saying, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and then you're gonna, we're going to do this. And then that nurture piece is, and you're not going to do it alone. Isn't that, and isn't that lovely? I mean, that, that you are you know, out on West and I'm on the East Coast, but here we have this ability to be able to nurture each other. I mean, I say that to you, like you've taught me so much. Like I've learned so much from what you share and and your beautiful vulnerability and your ability to express things. And, you know, just the wisdom that you are blessing so many people with, I receive that. And then crazy thing that I can give back and share with you. And then the both of us, it's that iron sharpening iron. We're both stronger as parents, as businesswomen, as using our God-given talents to be able to to do what we are meant to be doing in a beautiful way. There's a, a poet, uh, I think her name is Mary Oliver, and I'm going to butcher it, but she talks about like, how are you going to use this one precious, beautiful life? Yeah. And, you know, part of it is we are going to raise kids and we're going to give them as much as we can. But part of it is we're going to use these talents for something bigger and, and better. And I know I'm blessed by your willingness to say yes to do that. It's fun to be able to, you know, turn around and help other people do it. And it's well, good. Thank it's you. Blessed, right? Thanks so much. Is that how we're supposed to do this kingdom yeah. thing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm so, it's truly a blessing to me to get to write and put things out there. It, it is not lost on me that I have never in my life been able to keep a journal, but I've been writing a blog for 12 years. <laughs> because I have to write to someone. Yeah. Writing for me, I mean, like, I'll write, I write tons of notes for myself, but yeah. to process something and express it, just to put it in a journal, it, there's nothing that, it, I'm not motivated to do that. Yeah. But to share it, to serve with it, that motivates right. me, so... Yeah. Well, and I think that's because, you know, we are, perhaps I, I shouldn't say this universally, but as a woman, I delight in the, in the relationships and in the conversations. And gosh, I'm not an extrovert. I love introverts kind of sitting on the couch and really connecting with somebody. To me, that is just the best way of, of you know, really understanding and sharing and laughing and having that joy of a relationship. And so that also kind of manifests itself in my business. Like I love a small, intimate group of people. I love working with you. And I love, I have a, um, you know, every couple of months I organize a small group of entrepreneurs and I lead them through some of the decisions that they have to make. And how are they forming their business and what are their messages and, and really just, you know, the business architecture of their brand identity and how they're, what they're doing and all their messages. But it, it can't get too big for me because then I feel like it's like a, 
it, it loses that intimacy of like, I really want to see, I want to know Lisa and I want to see Lisa win. And I want to see Lisa in the fullness of her talent expressing itself. And I don't know if, if I would be able to do that very well if there were a hundred people in the room. Like right. I want that intimacy. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's what you're saying, like sharing it with somebody, even though obviously the internet is big, you probably still feel like you're talking to a mom who has the same questions that you have. And I know, you know, it certainly feels that way as, yeah. a, as a reader and as a listener. Like, I feel like, you know, what, uh, we said this before, like you and Melissa, I feel like I'm the third person in your conversation when you're, when I'm listening to the podcast, like, oh yeah, like they get this, don't they? Oh, she got, she, she understands where I'm at. We love that. We love hearing that from people because we are having such a good time doing this podcast <laughs> and knowing that it's reaching people and it's speaking to you and that you feel like it's familiar is so, so, so good. Podcast, interestingly, you know, it is a big opportunity, entrepreneurs and, and, and like it's such a neat, it's relatively small there's not a lot of podcasters out there. I mean, it might feel like it now that you are one, that everybody's doing it, but that's not true. I mean, that's, that's not true. I remember thinking that, you know, 10 years ago when I first started, like, oh, everybody's got a blog. And I, I had no idea how big it was. Right. But podcasts are still a relatively small piece of it. But boy, is it powerful. Like to have somebody, you know, if, if they're one of your listeners thinking about doing it, there's such a power in connecting with people through podcasts. And I see a lot of people incorporating it into their business um, because, you know, there's not a lot of other mediums where you're actually listening to somebody's voice and hearing mm -hmm. their expressions. And it is a really personal. And like I mentioned to you before we even started recording this morning, I love that it's really unscripted. Like I wrote two sentences down before we started talking, you know, things I wanted to remember to kind of bring up, but this is just, it's authentic. And I love that. And you know, I listened to I listened to two podcast episodes this morning just while I was cleaning my kitchen and making breakfast after the kids had left for school. I was doing some yeah. cooking and you know, it's so great. I learn a ton from podcasts. So I love that. Yeah, and I'm a big audiobook fan too. So between podcasts and Audible, I feel like I am I'm much smarter. I, I often say like I didn't become curious until I was an adult which my parents kind of probably die when they hear me say, because I went to an Ivy League college. I have all these credentials and all these things, but I don't really think I got curious until I was, you know, almost 30. And now, I mean, I am constantly listening to audiobooks, And I mean, I read a lot too, because that's just part of how I'm wired, but I read different things than I listen to. So I me read too. kind of literature and, and novels and stories that, but I listen to like, you know, I listen to business books. I listen to a lot of lectures, uh, like the great courses and about music or about business or about history. I just love all that stuff. So yeah, isn't that funny that how we consume our information and, and yeah. how much uh, we get. I often feel bad for like the women who were stuck out in the pioneering days who had no neighbors, <laughs> no newspapers. And oh my gosh. And no podcasts. <laughs> for them. Oh. Well, thank you so much, Sharon. It's so good to catch up with you both personally and professionally. Thank you so much, Sharon. A pleasure. What a great interview. I feel like Sharon and I would be fast friends. I think our minds probably tick a lot of the same ways. I love the way that she kind of parallels what she has learned through adoptive parenting and then 
can translate that to other aspects. In her particular case, it's business. But I find that what I'm learning about my kids' behaviors and how to best support them and set them up for success has really also helped me understand all the people in my life, you know, whether it's in a work relationship or a church relationship or just a friendship or even my marriage. This journey, while it's had a lot of really tricky parts, has also had a lot of huge blessings. And I'm a better human, I think, because of it. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think that I'm and, and my kids are too. I think that we're more empathetic, kinder, more understanding, hopefully, because of what we've learned about trauma in the brain and children. And, you know, I apply this in my life all the time, especially when it comes to situations where a person might be acting in a certain way. And I realize it's probably due to some underlying fear. And that helps me a lot. I even talk about it with Russ with his students, you know, like you have to create a feeling of safety that you're on their side. You want them to learn this material. You don't want to have them feeling like you're wanting to trip them up on an exam. You want them to know I'm on your side. I want you to learn hydrology and I'm here for you. (laughs) So, uh, So we apply it all the time in our lives. We would encourage you as well, if you feel like you've lost yourself, in the midst of all of this to, you know, like Sharon has found this outlet in her life that's helped her stay true to who she is and not just become the parent of her two youngest kids. And so if you feel like your identity is completely wrapped up in who you are as a mom or even how your children behave, we would really encourage you to kind of brainstorm, maybe get with another friend who knows you well or a spouse and just figure out like, what are the things that you're passionate about? What are the things that make you tick that you could spend some time going back to? We've talked about that a lot here. It's a lot of what we talk about in coaching, just helping moms fill up their buckets and find the thing that energizes them. I think that's an important part to remember as well. Absolutely. Well, we hope you enjoyed this interview with Sharon. She has created a free download for you that you can find on our website in the show notes. If you're an entrepreneur interested in pursuing a business, Sharon, as we mentioned, is a coach. She would love to hear from you. And her contact information is also in the show notes. And to find that, it's theadoptionconnection.com slash 32. We've come to the part in the podcast that we call Mentor Moments, where we answer a listener question. Today's question is, We adopted internationally from a country that doesn't keep great birth records. There may be a discrepancy in age. Is there a benefit to changing our child's age? So Lisa, did you experience this with any of your kids? I I know Ethiopia is one of the countries that doesn't always have great records about birthdays. Right. Yes, we did actually. Um, One of our children came home or actually was coming home and we knew what they were saying her age was, but we we just didn't think she'd be able to just adapt to like an American classroom. I guess at that point, we didn't actually know she was going to go to school, but we just felt like it was going to put an awful lot of pressure on her to come home at the age that they were saying because she'd have so much catching up to do. And we thought, gosh, if we give her another year, that could help her. That could be to her advantage. She was also very small. And so we thought, yeah, this might work. How about you, Melissa? 
We did actually. We one of our children grew up with another one of our children. They're not um, biologically related. When we adopted from Ethiopia, they were using like bone scans or wrist x-rays to kind of look at growth plates and estimate ages because there weren't really any records. Two of our kids came back with wrist x-rays that seemed pretty accurate to what they had remembered, how long they thought they had been on the planet, et cetera, et cetera. But one of our daughters had a wrist x-ray that aged her about three years older than we thought that she was. And she had participated in a children's choir and come to the U.S. So she already had some paperwork that had a estimated birth date on it. And then we had, of course, memories from our son who said, no, she's always been younger than me. You know, they had grown up together since the time that our daughter was like a toddler, you know, and he was adamant and she was pretty adamant too, that she definitely was younger than him. So we didn't change it in country before we adopted. But when we got back to the States, we decided to readopt so that there would be a paper trail in our County. And we, you know, went to our dentist and our pediatrician and kind of told them the conundrum we were in. Everyone agreed that she could be as young as we thought that she was and that the benefit to making her younger legally was that she would have extra time. Um, She would have been almost 15 by the time we brought her home if we hadn't changed her age. And so that only leaves, not only leaves like three years to really invest, you know, not that we kick kids out at 18, but you know, where they can, you know, kind of go out on their own if they want. And so everyone agreed that having more time where she could, you know, kind of quote unquote, just be a kid was in her best interest. So we did, we ended up during our readoption process and we also changed their names. We ended up changing her birth year. So in our case, so, okay. So in your situation, this turned out to be a very good decision, correct? It was the right decision for her. It ended up being tough because she was our most fragile child and she really challenged us. And so it made us responsible for her longer. There were some tough times when that was hard because our family wasn't safe and it would have given us a little bit more flexibility had she been legally 18. It would have given us more options for keeping our family safe. Let me jump in and clarify. Your family was not safe because of her behaviors. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So it complicated things. It made our life complicated for longer, but you know what? It was still the right thing to do. It was because we really believe that she is the age that she is now legally, even though it was the harder road, I think it was the ethically correct road, if that makes sense. It was for her good, not necessarily yours, but for her good. Yeah, it was for her good. It wasn't, again, it wasn't the easy road in the end, but we didn't know that when we did it. So I know that a lot of people have changed ages more for what you're talking about. Like you know, if we just give them another year, you know, maybe they want them to stay in elementary school one year longer or something like that. So there are pros and cons to that too, because, you know, some kids go through early puberty when they come home or, you know, us changing their age means that they'll go, they may experience puberty at a seemingly younger age and maybe way ahead of the peers that their classmates with. So there's always, you know, pluses and minuses to these things. Right. And I would say when our daughter was younger, it was to her advantage. There came a point where I think it was hard for her. And she wanted at that point to be the age that she believed and knew that she was. I think she felt older than her peers. And I think it was a combination of 
in our situation, if I could do it all again, I would not have changed her age. But I don't, I can't say I regret it because we made the best decision that we could, but I probably wouldn't have done it. So I think every situation is going to be different, every child, every family. So it's not a decision to make quickly. It's one to really consider, I think, before you commit. Try to get, you know, different opinions from different professionals, maybe other families who have done it, you know, kind of gather a lot of information and kind of sit on as many angles as you can. So if you'd like to submit a question for a future episode, you can send us an email to email at theadoptionconnection.com. You can also leave a message. We love to hear your voice and be able to include that in the podcast. The number for that is 208-741-3880. And if you need more personalized help, we do offer private coaching. So for more info on that and to schedule your complimentary session, you can head to theadoptionconnection.com slash services. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom, doing good work, and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.